If I had to write an essay about it, it'd be like the use of C word in two hands and mm-hmm. how that is Australian culture in a nutshell. G'day there, I'm Jen Fricker. And g'day, I'm Alexi Toliopoulos. Welcome to the Big Film Buffet. A podcast for pop culture fans and people looking for what to watch recommendations. And today it's our main course, so we have a Netflix film for you to watch this weekend or right bloody now, wherever you are. Wherever you are right now, this is an all-time favourite for me. The movie is an Aussie iconic classic. It is the hit ledger starring Two Hands. I got a new job, and uh, you could say I'm moving on. Yeah, what are you doing? Everyone down in the fucking hold up! I'm, um. Open your drawer! Open your fucking drawer! All of you open your drawers! I'm working for a guy, just doing odd jobs here and there. Right. Give me your keys! Alexi, I know this is one of your favourite all-time films. Mm, absolutely. So I'm going to let you take the lead Ooh. on this. What is Two Hands? What's it about? Why is it so iconic? I think it's iconic for many, many reasons, but what it's all about, it is a Australian Sydney set crime classic from 1999. It stars Heath Ledger and Rose Byrne as they're just about to pop off and become big movie stars. Heath Ledger stars as a strip club promoter in Sydney's seediest end of the CBD, King's Cross at that time, who kind of gets hooked up with some gangsters played by the iconic Brian Brown, who plays Panda in this movie. People probably know him from Sweet Country or from Cocktail, his kind of breakout movie with Tom Cruise. Yes, yes, yes. And he gets sent off to deliver 10K on a job. He gets distracted, something happens, he can't do it, and that money gets stolen by a pair of teenagers. And the gang comes after Heath Ledger himself to take him out in repentance for that money being lost. So it's kind of one of those great crime films where things take a turn for the bad and then escalate, getting worse and worse just by happenstance happening over and over again. Yeah, it's quite similar to like a Coen Brothers movie. One small mistake Mm -hmm. leads to another bigger mistake, which leads to catastrophe. I think that's really spot on. This is an early film for Gregor Jordan, who is a filmmaker that went on to do like Buffalo Soldier with like Joaquin Phoenix and a few other high profile pictures. He also directed Ned Kelly again with Heath Ledger. Mm. I think like that Coen Brothers 1 2 is so good because what makes this movie feel so special for me is that it has this like really incredible sense of place. Mm. You know, it really does feel like 1999 Sydney, like so vibrantly. Yes. You know, we both grew up in Sydney Mm -hmm. in the 90s. So there's just flashback after flashback. There's a whole sequence that's set around the monorail, which if you don't know, RIP the monorail, Mm -hmm. the world's most expensive railway by meter. (laughs) That only (laughs) went around like probably six or seven blocks in Sydney. It it just was a a single rail Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
that uh, hence the name monorail monorail uh, that went around Darling Harbour. I think it was built during like the eighties mm-hmm. as one of the kind of like this is what the future is going to look like. <laughs> um, and now one of the carriages is like a meeting room for Google. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, things like that. It's such a Sydney film. Mm. Everyone's constantly sweating. Yeah. I feel like one of the major complications of this film is largely due to how hot it gets. Mm. It's set on like a 35 degree day in Sydney and Heath Ledger just needs to have a bloody swim. Yeah. He needs to. Absolutely. I can sympathise with the guy. I think you're kind of hitting on something else I think is so perfect about this movie and kind of like why it has a long lasting legacy is that it has this very unique tone that I think we were kind of hitting in the 1990s with stuff like the Coen brothers, with stuff like Quentin Tarantino's work, where it would be high stakes crime but with kind of like the underbelly of like a comedic feeling around it. Like this is also quite a funny movie because the characters are just kind of like, you know, their day job is being crimps and it kind of captures almost like this kind of like grimy yet funny. They're not the smartest people in the world in high stakes situations. So they can't always really handle themselves in it. They're legends in their own lunchboxes. Oh, my God. I love that. You know, they're the biggest fish in the smallest pond, and that's what's so funny about Mm, it. Absolutely. Deeply distressing as well because these people make these huge high-impact decisions about each other. Truly, and I think that is one of the coolest things about this film is that it just has a beautiful and brilliant Australian cast that are all firing on all those cylinders, Mm. uh, creating like really interesting characterizations of uh, what Australian crime is. Because, like, you have, like, this idea of, like, who is the godfather? Like, who is the don of this crime family, of this mob? And you think about, like, people like Marlon Brando, the godfather, or, like, you know, Goodfellas, where they're all suited and booted. Quite elegant. Yeah, there's a kind of, like, the sexiness of crime. Mm. But like you're saying in this film, because it takes place on, like, a hot, hot summer in Australia... All these criminals are like wearing stubbies, footy shorts, polos. They've got like little thongs on. Some of them times are not even wearing shoes like during these crime scenes. Yeah, there's something really grubby about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, you know, you've got Brian Brown as Pando, who is the leader of this gang. And he is just absolutely sublime in this movie. Because it like hits on exactly who his persona is, right? Warmth, funny, Mm -hmm. but then an edge of like psychotic coldness that (laughs) just kind of sits at the edge of his character. And you're like, oh yeah, no, this man is capable of doing some really, really crook things. Absolutely. Like I think Brian Brown would never star as an Australian bad boy in the comedy uh, Along Came Polly if it weren't for this movie. (laughs) That's one of my other iconic Brian Brown performances. But him as Pando, like, just even, like, the physicality of that character, like, just his costuming is brilliant in this film. Where he's kind of, like, wearing these polo shirts, kind of sitting on top of, like, some kind of tartan or tan shorts. Yeah. He's got these, like, socks that, like, fall down, like, into his loafers. Yeah. And it just feels so Australian when he's got that handlebar moustache. Oh, the moustache. The moustache is so good. But he just, like, captures that intimidatingness of someone while still also being very funny throughout. Yeah. In a way that, like, is funny within the movie but then transcends the film itself as well. What I really like about this movie is that, as you said, it really captures 
a time and a place Mm -hmm. and I think it could only exist in this time and a place and it could only be an Australian film. And what I'm trying to say Mm. is the liberal use of the C word in this film Mm. is kind of Australian culture in a nutshell. It's a word of affection Mm -hmm. and it's also an insult and it's literally just an inflection or a facial that changes the meaning of that. And I think that's why this is a comedy drama. (laughs) In the By way the use that of this, one word's flipping, truly, I think though, that's so good. Dude. That's my whole. If I had to write an essay about it, it'd be like the use of c word in two hands and mm-hmm. how that is Australian culture in a nutshell. The c bomb can be dropped as a bomb of love that explodes yes. the heart, yes. or a bomb that will destroy the soul of any criminal. It's so Australian to me, and not in a way that feels cloying mm. or patronizing. Yes, it's not trying to be like and. Don't we all know this is what Australia is like? It's more just like, you know these people. These mm-hmm. people talk like people you know, but obviously you don't want to be any of these people. It's like never hokey or anything like mm. that, really. And mm. I think like in this era in Australian filmmaking, we've kind of getting that like sense of like gritty dramas with maybe a touch of lightness, but also like just really capturing that sense of place that is so uniquely Australian. There's another film that I recommend on Netflix that does that so well, which is Head On by Anna Kokinos, which stars Alex Dimitriades as a young gay Greek guy, like coming to terms with himself in Melbourne. And that movie just feels so like just a sister film to this that feels like that capturing like what urban Australia really is. I would recommend mm-hmm. uh, off the back of this, The Dish. <gasps> because I love my Australian comedies, Mm -hmm. but also because it features uh, one of the lead actors from Two Hands, Tom Long. So in Two Hands, Tom Long plays Wally. He's one of the kind of goons Mm, for Brian Brown. A henchman nails that classic like warm comedic tone, Mm. but then also can act violently at any point. I just love Tom Long. We lost him last year to an illness. Mm. Fantastic actor from Sea Change as well, like capturing that warmth. I think like that's one of the best things about this movie is like that little gang of henchmen. We've also got David Field who plays Akko in this. Mm. David Field is like a bit of an icon of Australian character actors, especially in this genre of like Australian crime. He's in Chopper. He's a bit of a villain in Chopper when they're in prison. He is an icon for me. I love David Field. And I think that gang, like having this dynamic of playing with the status where we've got Pando, Brian Brown as the leader, and then these kind of hapless trio of like different levels of Aussie boganism like around him, just it works so well. This Mm. cast is so beautifully well-rounded and it's all led by this incredible chemistry between Rose Byrne and Heath Ledger. I love the way their dynamic plays in this movie as these two young people, and they're young as well. They're probably between the ages of like 18 and 22 in this. They're such like bright talent, like bursting with so much charisma that feels very in place and very real. Yeah. But what I love between their like interplay between them is they've both got like this real giggly giddy energy between them yeah where they're like kind of a little bit shy around each other really vulnerable yeah there's like an edge where you like it feels so intimate you don't want to look at it yeah because they're just like 
they're nervous because you can see them kind of falling in love with each other. It's really that young puppy love as mm. well, which feels so unique in like a crime movie like this to have like sweet, almost teenage love story yeah. kind of building out of it. And for it to feel real. Yeah. Yeah. It feels so real. Like, and as well, they've kind of like different acting styles almost. Whereas I think like Rose Byrne like brings like such a sweetness to this role. Heath does too in like a really different way. Yeah. Like, you know, we can't talk enough about what an iconic actor he is, but there's one scene in particular, which for me is the scene of the movie, which is he's been given that 10K by Pando to deliver. He can't get in contact with the person that he's meant to give it to. And then he goes to Bondi Beach instead. We see the beautiful pavilion in the background. And he's just looking out into the ocean, trying to cool off. And he sees who he believes to be Rose Byrne in a bikini going in there. He's like, oh, you see it all playing out in his face as the camera slowly zooms in on him. The thought process of like, should I go in? What should I do? And just like he's acting when he decides to bury that envelope of money into the sand and leave it underneath his clothes as he gets into his like tidy whities to jump mm. into the water we just seeing it play off and like the nervousness of his like ticking hands and like deciding how he should do it and then deciding to play it slowly like okay i'm gonna do it subtly how i'm gonna drop this money into this hole just is maybe my favorite heath ledger moment ever just that slow zoom in seeing everything play out on his face mm. and then cutting to these two teenage kids looking at him, knowing what he's dropping in there. Magnificent tension building. Yeah. And like in a Hitchcockian way where Hitchcock talks about like the difference between surprise and tension where, you know, two people are having a conversation over a table and then it blows up. That's surprise. Yeah. But if two people are having a conversation over a table and you hear or see a ticking clock attached to a bomb underneath them that's tension yeah and i think this scene like really nails a hitchcockian idea of like what tension is because you see those teenagers looking on mm. knowing that he's going to drop that money and it builds up the escalation of like where this film is really going to go mm. i feel like this movie is kind of part of a one-two punch for heath ledger mm. where he you know, brings this kind of serious, dramatic role that you kind of see those moments mm. in. It comes out at the same time as 10 Things I Hate About You, this big Hollywood teen movie. Mm. So he gets that face recognition as mm. well. You get these two sides where he could easily have just been reduced to a hunk yeah. in 10 Things I Hate About You. But then you do have this kind of depth to him. And it's so nice to watch these things and be able to chart this kind of development. Yeah. Of an actor up into these more iconic roles like the Joker or Ernest Elmar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mountain. Mm. I think that's also like the thing that makes Heath such a legend, if you will. Heath legend. Heath legend. Heath legend. That what makes him Heath legend <laughs> is because he becomes like this movie star, but he does it by kind of defying what a persona of a movie star is. Mm. Like, you know, a movie star usually has like a signature role uh, that they can kind of like bring out and do those movie star performances. But even like the biggest films of Heath Ledger, they're not movie star performances. They are stuff like The Joker. They are stuff like Enos in Brokeback Mountain where he really embodies a person and there's nothing that kind of links them together apart from like this deep-souled nature of Heath Ledger. Mm. Like what he's able to bring to the screen is, I would say, deeply affecting authenticity that makes him feel so immersed and so real. 
Yeah. It makes me wonder what he would be like now mm. in an age of social media. Because for me, what I love about Heath Ledger and his roles is that he is, as an actor, so mercurial. So mm. it's like he's just pulling these like threads to the surface that are always contained within him yeah. and then he can just pull these different things out. Wow. So he is very like chameleonic in that way and that he can truly immerse himself into these roles and then i wonder now with social media whether that would even be possible to protect that Mm. in a way because social media is all about being authentic online or like being performative online and having a presence and stuff like that and it's like god i would never want to see him doing ads for alcohol you know what i mean like trying to sell us anything like i think that's part of his genius Mm. in a way and it is so lucky that we have all these films from him Mm. where you can just see these kind of multitudes that he contains absolutely i remember when he passed away was truly the first time i ever felt like devastated by like a celebrity death. Mm. I guess because he wasn't really a celebrity, he was like an artist, like a public artist, if anything. And I would have been like 13, maybe 14 years old and just being so torn up by it. My best friend Georgia called me up in the morning because it's summer holidays, summer school holidays here. And it was just like, you know, a summer for me, when I was young and a teen, I wasn't really like, you know, you don't go out as much because just like a teen, what do I do? Mm. I don't have a freaking life. I was a little boy. Yeah. And I remember I would take my mattress down from upstairs and bring it into the lounge room. I would just have like a summer in front of the TV. It would yes. just be like my sleepy summers is what I would call them. And my friend Georgia called me up as I'm like lying down on this mattress and she's like crying. She's like, Heath Ledger died. Oh. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, are you serious? What are you talking about? It's like Heath Ledger died. And I had to turn on the TV to Sky News. And I watched freaking like seven hours of just them covering his death because I was like, I can't cope. I need to like hear about it. And just like, I even now as I'm talking about, I'm like starting to like well up a little bit or just feel like go back to like that feeling of like just being like, man, so devastated. Yeah. I'm tingly right now thinking about it. Yeah. When he died, it really felt like everyone knew him mm. in a way that was nice, Yeah, you know, because he just seemed like some guy in the end. I think as well for us as like young Australian kids, like that wanted to be creatives, that wanted to be artists like mm. you and I, I think that he represented something so powerful for us. Like he represented something so real and tangible in that you could have all this artistic integrity and be making all these great films and all these great choices and not kind of falling into like the trappings of celebrity yeah. and just being like so earnest and so sweet and so sincere and delivery of like such beautiful and powerful work. Yeah. That's also kind of what I love about this movie. Just the stories of it being kind of made of passion, if you will. Yeah, of like fumes, basically. Yeah. Like Rose Byrne made this Instagram post about how she'd bleached her own hair mm. through the movie. She's wearing, wearing her own dress. Like that kind of thing. It's like it wasn't like a big Hollywood production. It wasn't mm. like what you kind of imagine a movie to be. It was just a bunch of people who really wanted to make it, mm. making it. The purple car that Akko's character mm-hmm. owns was actually Gregor Jordan's actual car. Really? That he just like lent out for the thing. Oh, and wow. then fun, interesting fact from mm-hmm. IMDb facts who like famously we cannot verify. But <laughs> after that movie, Gregor Jordan sold that car and it ended up 
being owned by Merrick Watts. My God, Australian comedian Merrick Watts. Yes. Acquaintance of ours. <laughs> former radio DJ Merrick yeah. Watts. Yeah. Uh, according to IMDb trivia, so it needs to be verified. But um, I reckon that can be close to true because I know Merrick is a car fiend. He's exactly. a bit of a redhead. Mm. He's also uh, has encyclopedic knowledge of all the cars from the Mad Max films. So he's right. like, I believe this. Yeah. I believe he owns the two hands car. Here's some actually verifiable trivia for uh-huh. you. One of the actors in this movie, uh, Stephen Weidler, who plays Heath Ledger's older brother, who is like this kind of like almost like a Shakespearean soliloquizing character. Yeah. He's like the ghost of his passed on older brother who is underground for a lot of the movie, has kind of like decomposing makeup on. Really, I think that's what makes this film so unique is that it has like this comedic quality, this gritty quality, but then sitting above all of that is like this surreal magic realism quality Mm. to it as well, where he's like a ghost haunting the film. Fantastic actor, Steve Weidler. He also directed Heath in Black Rock just before this film. the Nick Enright play. Yeah, absolutely. But more famously, he was my screenwriting teacher at film school. (laughs) Wow. Okay. And he is just like a really cool guy. And I remember just like in classes going, like, man, that's the guy from Two Hands. That's, that's so the guy sick. from Two Hands. Just being a little bit shy around him. But he's a really, really cool guy. Like, really, really fascinating teacher as well. That's dope. So his knowledge has been imparted onto me as well. In a way, he haunts you, the ghost of your screenwriting teacher. Who's Every- <laughs> knock on wood, still alive? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God. He's still making movies great, and great, stuff great, like great, that. Great, great. Yeah. Um, but also the teenage girl who is very key to the plot of this movie, played by another friend of mine, Marielle McCoy. Right. But she's also a makeup artist now, uh, working in film and TV too. So she's a huge shout out to Marielle. Great oh. young performance from her. Yeah, she's brilliant in this. Yeah, she's those two kids that like that teenager angst of them that captures so much of like that young inner city vibe of like mm. kind of being trapped in the like violence or like threats of being in a yeah, city. Yeah, they seem like Hauso kids, you mm. know, just kind of hanging out on the street, getting into trouble, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. So cool. Something I really loved about this movie, watching it as well, apart from like all the Sydney nostalgia, the 90s nostalgia, from the get-go, the opening titles with Powderfinger. Freaking Powderfinger soundtracking it. A couple of Powderfinger songs through it. But just again, really, you know, reminded me of such a time and a place. I think Gregor Jordan ended up directing a Mm. documentary for Powderfinger, one of their live performances. But it it really feels like family. We've talked about it before on this podcast, how it's like you've got these kind of little, I'm going to say cartels, (laughs) (laughs) filmmaking cliques. It feels like it's a lot of love Mm. in it. It's a lot of people backing each other and and that kind of thing. It it makes this movie feel so warm. Yeah. I think that's really what it is. Like this film... While being like a gritty crime film, there's an undeniable warmth about it. Mm. I think that's why it's had this legacy that's built over time because it was like a hit in Australia. But I think over the last few years, the cult of love for this movie has really built like with the nostalgia for Sydney, with Rose Byrne and Heath Ledger becoming like quite iconic stars around the world. And then, of course, like Brian Brown having like Pando, that iconic role. I love the way that he says pterodactyle instead of pterodactyl. Just you can point to so much of like why the love for Two Hands has built and why it has endured Mm. this everlasting legacy. 
I think it's probably more popular now than it has ever been. I would agree. If you want a really in-depth look into two hands, a dear friend of mine, Blake Howard, has a podcast called Three Hands where he talks to the director, Gregor Jordan, over several episodes about his career, about working with Heath, but in particular, like, focusing on this film. And it's an absolute scream to listen to. You can stream Two Hands right now on Netflix. And Lexi, what else? If you love gritty Australian crime dramas, what should you get into? There's some really cool ones on Netflix at the moment. There's Goldstone starring Aaron Peterson. It's a sequel to Mystery Road. And I guess like the prequel to the TV series Mystery Road as well. Uh, But that is a great kind of modern Western gritty crime drama detective noir story fantastic movie. My love for that movie has only grown since it's come out. I'd also give a recommendation to the Jack Irish films. They're on Netflix too as well right now. Uh, They star Guy Pearce and they're in that kind of same pulpy urban world as Two Hands. Couldn't recommend those highly enough. And there's another one. It's a bit of an oddity, but it was a very important film for me as a teenager. It's actually directed by one of the stars of Two Hands, David Field. It's called The Combination and it's about gangs in Western Sydney in the mid-2000s. And it was a controversial movie when it came out, but I think that there's something really valuable in going back and watching that film. And that's on Netflix as well. It was really hard to find for a long time. So it's been one that has been kind of interesting for me to revisit recently. I'd also give a shout out to a new film called Baby Teeth. I'd like people to keep their eyes out for it because it's the first film that reminds me of that energy that Two Hands has because it's got some great performances by Eliza Scanlon and the other lead performance is Toby Wallace. And I felt like for the first time, this is kind of like could be the next Australian Heath Ledger. So keep your eyes out for Baby Teeth. Great film that came out just last year here in Australia. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe. Leave us a little review. We love to read them uh, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was hosted by me, Alexi Toliopoulos, and Jen Fricker. Produced by Michael Sun and Anu Hasbol. Edited by Jeffrey O'Connor. Executive produced by Tony Broderick and Melanie Marnie. 